We're going to be looking at John chapter 9 here today. I did make the error, which uh, Daryl showed me. I said John chapter 1 on the uh, individual spots there, but it is chapter 9. Don't turn to John chapter 1. You won't be reading the same stuff. <laughs> Just change that 1 over to a 9 and we'll be in good shape. Last week we looked at blind Bartimaeus. And we we're dealing with our present. That there are some things that we deal with our present on. And we wanted to see how to take care of that. Because we're looking in this series how to take care of the past, present, and future. How to be in faith in the past. How to be in faith in the present. How to be in faith in the future. Because sometimes we hear things like, I have it. Well, that's in the past. Sometimes we hear things like, it's mine. That's in the present. Sometimes we hear things like, I'm going to get it. Well, that's in the future. So what's faith? Is it past, present, or future? And if you're confused, that could be a reason why your faith isn't working. Because God does not have things confusing. He has it simple. So we're spending some time. And now we've been in this for, uh, I guess, four weeks now. Remember I told you at the beginning it's going to be a pretty short series? And I'm still on that, uh, that, that wavelength. I haven't had anything to change me on that. I'm pretty sure we're still going to be on this in a, on a, on a short thing. But as uh, Sister Ethel was sharing with us here this morning, and, um, and sometimes you all come up and ask me questions. You know, I love your questions. I never get tired of questions and they're never, never bad questions. Well, we were, I was driving my, my mom around this week. She had to get to her car to the car place. And so I was taking her down there on Monday and then picking her up on Tuesday. And we were asking some things and she had a question that she asked me. And, uh, she said uh, that she was talking with a friend and somebody had come out that, uh, they made this statement and they said, uh, uh, ambition. I'm trying to think if I remember this right, but ambition is a lack of gratitude. And so I thought about that, and what came up in my spirit was, that's wrong. So, you know, you go with what's in your spirit, because that's better than your head. <laughs> your head might say some things that's not quite right. So I said, uh, no, I don't think so, because I said God actually commended people in ambition, and she brought some examples where ambition was wrong. And they were right. They were, you know, those places there was ambition that was wrong. So we have a place here where ambition is right, and a place where ambition is wrong. And so um, uh, I gave her an answer, as I saw it. And um, that seemed to satisfy her. I know I'm not telling you. That's all right. Uh, that seemed to satisfy her on, on the thing. But then after we went from there, I started meditating on it more. And it just kept coming up more and more in my spirit. And then um, I, I, was, I was going on some things. And God was showing me some principles of faith out of the answer. And that kind of mushroomed into some other stuff. And this is what I got that, that came down to me. He says, he says, Steve, and he showed me a principle of faith that I am very well aware of, but not always conscious of. And he told me this. He said, Steve, you may do that and you even operate it, but you don't teach it. So we're going to fix that. <laughs> but not today. <laughs> not today. Well, maybe that's where we're going next because there's an awful lot downloaded into me on this that uh, I think we'll be on it pretty soon. But I uh, just wanted to let you know. We're on board for about exactly what I said in the beginning we would be on for this, this thing here. But last week we were looking at blind Bartimaeus and it's nice to have the children in with us. They're in here, in here service with us once every six weeks to worship with mom and dad. And we, uh, always enjoy having you around. But last time we were looking at what's going on in your present and we saw that we had to acknowledge that acknowledging what is going on in our present doesn't mean taking ownership of it. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for, for me? For you, and he said that I may receive my sight. We well, had to take ownership of the fact that he, well, not ownership, but he had to, he had to 
come to grips with the fact that, hey, I'm blind. But um, he wanted to, he had his eyes more on the healing than he did on the, on the blindness. So he saw the meditate on the word concerning your situation and come out with faith actions. Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus. He meditated on a plan of action that if he ever came to Jesus, what he would do. And he set out to do that. And as soon as he heard that Jesus was there, he set out into his plan of action. And no one could deter him. No one gave him that plan of action. The week before, we saw that Jesus gave somebody a plan of action. Rise, take up your bed and walk. He wasn't. He didn't come up with that on his own. The Lord Jesus gave it to him. Now this Bartimaeus, he, he got one on his own. And he carried it out. But today we're going to take a look at our past. Is your past a springboard or an anchor? See, our past is filled with things that we've seen, things that we've heard, things we've experienced. And our interpretation of those things can cause them to be an anchor and hold us back or to be a springboard and propel our faith. So how will your past help or hurt you in your obedience to God? In John chapter 9, verse 1, you may be familiar with this. We've uh, gone over it. And like I tell you, I always go back over and, and check the notes to see when the last time was we did this. And if you're wondering about it, if you want to go back and look up in the notes on that, it's January 2018. You could look up the notes on that and there, there's nothing from there that's in this one. So you'll get extra notes. So go back there and, and I know some of you folks keep it. Keep them from, from uh, time to time. But here in John chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now you just read, if you just open up your Bibles and start reading in John chapter 9, you see Jesus passed by, you think, oh, how nice Jesus is passing by. How many think nice thoughts when Jesus is passing by? I mean, we think nice thoughts. Jesus is passing by. This is just, you know, Mr. Rogers moment. Here, somebody's passing by. But that's not at all what was going on. If you went back one verse, you would find out that they took up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. <laughs> so he had just gotten all the leaders of the Jews all upset around the temple. And this uh, this section had started way back, remember when they brought the, the woman who was uh, caught in adultery? And they had that incident, and that flowed into another incident. And that flowed into another incident. And they were so, after all these incidents, they were so mad at him, they're picking up stones to stone him. And it just says, Jesus just passed right on through. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got a mob of, mob of people that are picking up stones to throw at you, and you just passed by. Isn't that amazing how you can do that? They're looking for you. They want to stone you. They know what you look like. And you just pass by. And as you are leaving this area of hostility. You pass by this guy who's by the temple. How many of you are stopping to uh, to deal with a blind man? Anybody want to do that? How many just want to get out of town, get out of the area here and just keep on moving? Because Jesus said, you know, it's not his time to die yet. He uh, He may have only had part of that Klingon mentality. Remember a Klingon whenever they won the battle? Remember what they would say? It is a good day to die. Every day for them was a good day to die. For Jesus, there was one day that was a good day to die, and he's waiting for it. <laughs> he's not going to die until then. So, 
Now, Jesus doesn't stop himself. Have you ever been in a hurry to go somewhere? I'm not saying that Jesus is in a hurry, but have you ever been in a hurry to go somewhere and someone that you are bringing along stops for something? This is very common when you are in going somewhere with small children. Very common. In fact, pretty much a daily occurrence. Muhammad would say that. When you have small children and the more in a hurry you are, the more things they find to stop. Have you ever seen that? You need to get from here to there and you, you're bringing them in tow. And, um, oh, look at this. Oh, a shiny nickel. <laughs> oh, a piece of trash. Oh, is that candy? <laughs> you know, we just find things that are around that we want to stop and take time for. And this kind of amazes me because the disciples are usually more conscious of the people around them and their hostility than Jesus is. But as they are passing by, all these people that are mad at them, they pass by this guy with the who is blind from birth. Now, apparently, it's well known that he's blind from birth. By the people that are around there, it's not something that you come to knowledge. Hey, how long have you been blind for? And he says from birth. This is just something that is known about him. He's been there quite a, bit, quite a bit. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm the disciples, and we got people that are in the temple area that wanted to stone us, especially the disciples, I think they're ready to get out of there. But for some reason, they stop and smell the roses. You know, we've seen this guy before. We've always had this question, and now we remember the question. Because I'm sure you've had that at times, that uh, a question that you have wanted to ask for a long time suddenly came to you at not the best time. But you're so frustrated with forgetting to ask the question when it comes up that it's there, and so you ask. Right? I don't know if that's where they were at with this, but it would seem to be. So they asked the question saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? So they give him a multiple choice question. It's got two answers, A or B. You can pick answer A or you can pick answer B. I think they would be okay with either one, but they just wanted to know in particular for this particular guy right here, uh, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. Because if he was born blind, obviously somebody sinned. Now, many times questions have wrong answers because we fail to check the premise. They've made a wrong assumption and they got a question out of that wrong assumption. They made a question that, that said, anytime someone is born into a condition, it is a result of sin. Somebody missed it. Somebody sinned. So was it him leading to the uh, question, can you sin in your mother's womb? Or did the parents sin? And if the parents sin, why did the kid pay for it? So this is, this is the question. Here are the answers, Jesus. Uh, which one you got? So Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, if you've ever read that before, that day and night might confuse you a little bit. We're not going to get there just yet. We'll get there. 
Now, I've told you, if you've been around here for a while, you know that uh, we don't accept this verse the way that it is written. And how many of you all know that in your Bible, if you have italicized words, what does that mean? Inserted by the translators to better explain what's mean. So if you see a word and it's italicized in your Bible, that means that word's not actually there, but it's inferred, the translator thinks, because of the words that are around it. So just know that. And, uh, and sometimes they're very right with that. In the, in the Greek, uh, a word can be inferred, but it's not actually written in there. So they, uh, they do that. But another thing that you, if you haven't been around here for a while, you may not know this, but in, when the Greek New Testament was written, paper was scarce. They didn't have a whole lot of paper. So they put all the words and scrunched them up together. They didn't put the spaces in between the words. And they also dropped out all the punctuation. So in the original text, there is no punctuation. Or the, the original ones we, we take the Bible from. When they wrote it, they may have put the punctuation in it. I'm not talking about that. We don't see those ones. We're talking about the oldest text that we have. There's no punctuation in there. So every time you see a period, a comma, whatever kind of punctuation you see, it is inserted by the translators. But you can't italicize all the punctuation. (laughs) But just know every bit of punctuation in your Bible is inserted by the translators. And the Greek language does lend itself to know where the words end. It's a far better language than English. We keep having discussions about these these letters and you know how English can have a K sound this way and a C sound this way and a S sound this way and this one's not even in there and this one, this time this letter sounds like this and this time this letter sounds like that. That's not so in Greek. One letter, one sound. All the time. And none of this silent letter stuff. Why do you need a letter in a sentence, in the word, if it's silent? Right? I mean knife. Do we really need a K? Isn't that just a waste of a K? <laughs> See, they don't want to waste space, so there are no silent letters. They don't put those kind of things in there. So it's very easy to pronounce the Greek word in the Greek language. Very hard to pronounce it, or harder to pronounce the Greek word in the English language. If you transliterate it and so forth, then you won't know how to pronounce it. But if it's in the Greek language, you know exactly how to re- pronounce it. Anyway, that's more information than you probably need. <laughs> so what we've done here is we just change the punctuation on here, which we can do simply because they're inserted by the translators. And if the translators have an understanding of this that is wrong, they may have put this on. Because if we read this the way that it is punctuated, it sounds like this man was not born blind because someone sinned. He was born blind that God would get glory. Now, that would be the only place in the Word of God that that would support this premise. So if we only have one place in the Word of God that supports that, then more than likely what we're understanding in the Word of God there is wrong. Because it ought to be supported in other places. Now what was the question they asked? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So, neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. Does he not answer the question? So why do we put a comma there? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. Capital B. But that the works of God should be revealed to him, comma, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Doesn't that change the meaning? And you did not change a single word. All you changed was a period and a comma. Which are not in there 
in the text that we can see. Now, what that tells you is this is not a result of sin. But I'm here to work the works of God. So let's get on with this. There is no glory from the blindness. So neither this man sinned nor his parents, period. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, comma, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. All right, now how many of you understand the first part of that answer better? Now what about the second part? What's all this stuff about day and night? I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Now remember, we were talking about some things before, about the light and the darkness and so forth, when Jesus was talking about Lazarus. You remember something that he said about Lazarus? Lazarus, when he heard about Lazarus, he said, Lazarus is... Now, this is not as so much today, but in, the, in Jesus' day, what did people do at nighttime? They slept. You don't have night shifts. I mean, you might be standing watch or something like that, but most people, you know, they, they slept at night. They worked during the daytime. So what do you do during the daytime in Jesus' day? You work. What does Jesus say? I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. How many of you can figure out that Jesus is not talking about the sun going down? I must work the works of God while it is day. Is he talking about the presence of God being on the earth and that eventually the presence of God won't be on the earth and we won't be able to do the works of God? Some people get that impression. Isn't that crazy? In fact, some people feel that the spirit, the presence of God or the Spirit of God will not be here during the tribulation period. Interesting how more people are saved during those seven years of tribulation than the others without the Holy Spirit. All this time with the Holy Spirit, He must be slowing us down. <laughs> Why don't we get rid of Him sooner? <laughs> he's not slowing anything down and He's not going anywhere during the tribulation period either. That is not the night that He is talking about. If Lazarus was asleep, as in Jesus' terminology then for him, it's nighttime. What Jesus, what I feel Jesus is talking about here is as long as he is here and alive, he is here to work the works of God. He said the night is coming. When the night comes, no one can work. In other words, when my night comes, I don't work anymore. Now think about this. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead and walked on the earth for 40 days, who did he heal? How did we get 40 days of Jesus in a resurrected, glorified body with no miracles and three and a half years with thousands and thousands? The night is coming when no one can work. When your night comes, when you die and are longer, no longer on this earth but are, Jesus' word, sleeping, and it's your nighttime, you won't be doing any work down here. That's not... That's not great revelation, is it? <laughs> See, your night will come. But while it is day, what should you be doing? The work of God. Night's not here yet. So you should be doing the work of God until the lights go out. 
That's what Jesus is planning on doing. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, is he in the world? He's in heaven, isn't he? But he lives through us. So we are the lights of the world. Isn't that what he called us? You are the light of the world? See, as long as you are down here, you're in the daytime. You're in the light. And you're doing the work of God, which is bringing the light here. The night is coming. Your night will be coming. But it's not here now. You're alive. You ought to keep on going. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now this is a different way, another way for him to heal a blind person, isn't it? He spat on the ground and he made clay. Closest thing I can come to this is how many of you when you were little and you got something on your face, what did your mom do? Is that in the, in the school of moms or something? Is that something that all moms are, it is? It is? It's a school of moms. They, they, dads don't do this. We don't do this. It's not in our DNA. It's not in our makeup. We don't spit on our fingers and rub it on people's. We just don't do it. <laughs> but mom after mom. I mean, if something's on your face, I don't they get that. <laughs> we have lived through it, haven't we? And when it happens, how many of you go, oh, yeah, do that again? We don't. What do we do? Oh, mom. We cringe. We don't like it. Now, this guy's blind. He doesn't know what Jesus is doing. But what would you think about it if mom, instead of licking her finger and coming onto your face and wiping the thing off, spit in the ground, made some mud and smeared it on you? That'd be kind of gross, wouldn't it? Well, you see, Jesus is not a mom. He doesn't have that in him. So he does more manly thing. <laughs> Spit on the ground. I don't, I don't know about you, but you know, I, some of the guys I run with, um, they like to spit. In fact, just about everybody I've ever run with, except for my buddy John. John, does, he is not a spitter. Thank God. John has so many good qualities for me being a... Being a running partner. That is one of them. Another one is he doesn't talk too much. <laughs> he knows when to be quiet and let's get going. And when it's time to talk. But he doesn't go around spitting. I was, uh, we were at the group run one time. And we were running. And I was behind this guy. I never run with him. I'm either ahead of him, ahead of him or catching up with him and then passing him. But this one time he was ahead of me. And I was catching up and passing him. And just every 10, 15 seconds, spit, spit. <laughs> Spit. I said, man, I gotta make sure when I pass this guy, I don't get a, <laughs> I gotta make sure I go on the right side here. I don't wanna get spit on. Let me just spit, spit, spit. I just think it's the grossest thing in the world. I don't understand the spitting. I'll run for you know, miles and miles and miles. Never spit once. The only time I've ever spit when running is when I've gotten a bug in my mouth. And then sometimes I just swallow them. <laughs> it's just a bug. <laughs> it's just a bug. Sometimes you just do that. Other times you just spit it out. You know, it's just a... 
That's just how it goes. But I don't understand the spitting. But then Jesus does this. I don't spit at all. I don't like to spit. But Jesus went down there. Now, I don't think Jesus is a spitter, but he's, he's, you know, he needs some water right now. There isn't any around. So he spits on the ground, makes mud, and he puts it on his eyes. I don't know if anybody else he did this way. He may have done others. It's just not recorded. But this is what he did here for this one. If he was able to see, he might have said, don't you put that on me. But he wasn't able to see what Jesus was doing. He may have heard Jesus spit, but he doesn't know, you know, what's going on. And then Jesus smears his stuff on him. He says, go wash in the pool. So he said these things, I got to work the works of him who sent me. Jesus sent him, or God sent him. So Jesus is out there to do those works. He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed. Now how many of you feel anointed by your mom? Anybody when your mom spit on the finger and rubbed it on your face? How many of you felt anointed? Uh-uh. Soiled. Soiled maybe. Oh man, I'll tell you what, this is just not good. So, he sat, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now I looked up some pictures in this. I was going to try and bring some pictures over here for you, but they have some pictures of what they call the modern day founds pool of Siloam. And I just, it doesn't jive with what I heard about it. This thing was a magnificent pool. It was built by Hezekiah. The reason that he built it was it was it was a defense thing so that when the city came under attack that they had fresh water. This was built in the old city of Jerusalem, which is also known as the city of David. Have you ever heard the city of David? That's the old city of Jerusalem. Because there's an old section and then there's a, a newer, not modern, but a newer, newer section. But uh, this is in the old old city that's called the city of David. That's where D- David went. He, he conquered that area. Israel did not have that area of Jerusalem until he came and he conquered it. So he took that. But Hezekiah saw there was no fresh water if they came under siege. So there was a spring that was nearby. And so he went and he, he carved out a about 2,000 feet through the solid rock to get the water from the spring into the pool. And that made up the pool of Siloam. You will see it mentioned in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 6, inasmuch as these people refuse the waters of Shiloah that flow softly and rejoice in resin and in Ramelia's son. Now it was the 8th century B.C. that Hezekiah built it. You'll find this in 2 Kings 20 and verse 20. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So there it describes just that he had done it. The original pool was 53 feet long. 53 feet long. That's a, that's a good bit. 53 feet long, 18 feet wide. 18 feet wide. So if you stack three people, three six-foot people, um, that would be how wide it was. 19 feet deep. Now some of the pictures that they'll show you up on the, on the 
internet, show you a pool that is pretty small, and you might be able to get 20 people in there. I don't think it was that small because the idea for this thing to be built was to be a water reservoir so that the people could come and get water from it. Now, when the Babylonians came around uh, 575, 576, somewhere around there, and destroyed Jerusalem, they also destroyed the wall and the pool. And the pool was destroyed. Seventy years later, when Nehemiah came down and he rebuilt the wall, he rebuilt this pool. When Herod the Great took uh, rulership, he took this pool and he made it bigger. The pool that Nehemiah had built. He made it bigger. And he built it and he put archways all around the outside. He also put archways down the middle. If you look at some of the pictures that are shown up on, um, uh, if you go to Google this thing, some of the pictures that are there, you can't put an archway down the middle. The thing's not big enough. It's like a little pool in an alley. And that's just not what this thing was, was at. It was a great pool. It was a big pool. And um, so he had taken it and he had made it bigger. When it was originally built, they had part of it was hewn stone. They hewed it right out of the stone and the other part was masonry. That they built up with, with that so it could hold the, hold the water. But that was a lot of water, 19 feet deep. I don't know that it was 19 feet deep all the way around because sometimes people will go and get uh, bass in it. Um, I don't know if they did that during Hezekiah's time, if they just used it as a water source. But in Jesus' time, there were some people who were going and making uh, some bass in it, but they also had some other areas of fresh water for the city at that point. But these are some of the things that had, that had gone on. But here's something that was interesting about this particular thing. In the, um, uh, they would have the, the Feast of Tabernacles. How many remember the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles was eight days long. This would go on for eight days. They would have this, um, were you trying to pull up a picture there? Oh, okay. I thought I, thought I saw the, the screen flash. I was going to ask you to go pull up one, but I thought, now, there's one in particular I saw. I was going to bring it over. And it showed the, the old pool of Siloam that showed uh, an aerial view. It had the temple and it showed you where this guy had to walk to. But I didn't bring that one over. All right, if you find it, we'll, we'll put it up there. But during this particular feast, one of the things that was, was done is that the, the priest would go down to this particular pool because it was not that far from the temple. And they would take a golden vessel. They would fill this golden vessel up with water they would bring that water back to the temple. And on the altar, one priest would be on one side and one priest would be on the other side and they would pour the water out on one side of the altar and they would pour wine on the other, the, 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 the remaining side of the water. Uh, one was on the east side. I believe the water was on the east side and the wine was on the west side, if I remember that on that correctly. So they did this particular ceremony Every day during the Feast of Tabernacles, this is how they, uh, the day started, that the priest would go down there and get the water. And in the morning of each of the days of the Feast of Tabernacles, seven days, the first seven days, they would do this ceremony of pouring out the water of Siloam and then the, the wine on the other side. There is a verse of scripture in Isaiah that some felt that they were trying to reenact in Isaiah 12 and verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. But here, on the last day of the feast, the eighth day, they did not do this ritual. They did not pour out the water. They did not go and get the water. The water was left out, and so was the wine. I say all that to read this scripture to you. 
In John chapter 7, verse 37, On the last day and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, This is the, the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last day, which is the eighth day, this is the day that they did not do the water. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Why is it emphasized that Jesus on the last day of the feast? Because the people in this day knew the last day of the feast, the water was taken out of the ceremony. And Jesus brought it back in. But what he brings back in is the water that comes from him. And it was a little bit more startling to the people then than it is to us when we read on the last day of the feast, he said this. But it was much more to them. Now this guy, as we're going to get on this in the story, this blind man who's blind from birth, I mean, we don't even get his name. Bartimaeus, we got his name. We don't even get this guy's name. He's just a guy. Born blind. If he had heard about Jesus, he may have heard that he just healed blind Bartimaeus. And oh, blind Bartimaeus, he didn't have to go down to no stinking pool. He didn't get spit put on him. All he had to do was stand there. And he's healed. If this guy had heard about Jesus beforehand, maybe he would have come up with something like Bartimaeus did. But apparently he's pretty ignorant about Jesus. Kind of amazing for a blind man who's been blind since birth and hangs out at the temple. Where's Jesus hang out a lot at? It's over by the temple. There's one, one pool that looks a little more, more, uh, more grand than the ones I was seeing. There's, uh, there's, I did not see that one. I probably would have copied that one and brought it over to you because the ones I was seeing, it's like, that's no pool of Siloam. <laughs> no one's building that to, to water a city. Looks like a little closet pool. This is the, that's, uh, that's far better. But uh, there was one and there was an aerial shot that showed you how far he had to walk from the, from the temple. If you can find it, great. If not, we'll be, we'll be okay without it. But I, we, we say all that to show you this, that um, Jesus told him what to do in order for him to get healed, didn't he? Now, he kind of gave him reason to because um, now he's got spit mud on his eyes. I mean, if you got spit mud on your eyes, how many of you want to wash it off? Even more. I mean, if you got mud on you, that's no big deal. Well, for some of us. Now, if I get mud on me, I don't care. I got mud on me. That's all right. I sometimes, I better not say that. We got kids in the room. But mud doesn't, mud does not scare me at all. If I got mud in my mouth, that's no big deal. Just, it's just dirt. We came from dirt. I'll just get more dirt. That's all it is. It just doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Now, there are some situations that, uh, you know, people dirt, that bothers me. Now, by people dirt, I mean this. Uh, you know, sometimes we, people walk on by here and they drop stuff off when they expect us to clean it up, which we do. So every time I'm walking on by, I see stuff that's people dirt. You know, their soda cans and their, their plates and stuff like that. Well, I pick those things up and I hold them as prissily as I can. 
I mean, I'm barely carrying that thing on over. And I get it to the trash can, and I drop it in the trash can, and I immediately go to the restroom, and I wash my hands. Because that's people dirt. If I had been rummaging around in the dirt, I wouldn't care. That's God's dirt. I don't mind God dirt. I don't like people dirt. <laughs> you may be different. I don't know. It's <laughs> just, just the way that I, I go in this thing. But um, I think about this. How many people would have been bartering with Jesus about how to get healed? All right, well, do I have to go down there? We got some bottled water right here. I mean, it's, it's water. Water is water. Oh, that's an even different one. Well, that looks like a lot further away to go than the, the one I saw. Wow. All right. Now, these are all artist renditions, so understand there's no necessarily uh, <laughs> factual stuff for them to go on. But uh, we do have an idea of where the pool was. We do know where the temple is. But sometimes we like to barter with God ourselves. We don't necessarily want to do what he said to do. We want to do what we want to do. I put this in your outline for you. The power is in obeying, not bartering. You may not like what God said to do, but that may be intentional. Think of it this way. Did you ever suspect that your mom or dad gave you jobs that you did not like? Anybody ever think that? But I like to vacuum. Why do you make me wash the dishes? Right? Whatever it is that you don't like to do, it seems like that's something that you have to do. There's another another spot. Temple Mount, that's where the... Uh, that's where they would, of course, put the temple. Did they show this? There it is, the Pool of Siloam. That's still showing a, uh, a bit of a distance there. And it may be that it was that far. I know it wasn't super close by, but it wasn't, it wasn't far by any means. You're... You're not traveling miles, miles to get there. Well, Bartimaeus didn't have to do all that much. He may say, I want, I want Bartimaeus' deal. But he's not going to get Bartimaeus' deal. We can't go around bartering with God as to what we, what we should do to be healed. Now, in verse 8, he says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is, the, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. <laughs> now, I don't, this guy, he can see now. He's come back from the pool. He's seeing. And if you've got a blind guy, and now he can see, I'm sure he looks a little bit different. But he's still basically the same. It's just that his eyes are there now. And he's got them open, and he can see you. And um, there's probably something different from him, but he still looks like the same guy. Isn't this amazing, though, that they're going around and they're saying to this, uh, is this not he who sat and begged? Is this the guy who sat and begged? And, and this one said, yeah, yeah, that's him. And the other one's saying, well, he looks like him. And the guy's right there. <laughs> the guy is right there. And they're sitting here saying, well, he, he looks like him. I think it's him. I don't think it's him. I think, it's, why don't you just say, are you the guy? Why don't you just ask him? You can just say, are you the guy? I am. 
And that's what he says. He goes, he says, I am. It reminded me that, uh, that stupid thing that's going on in the news media today. They just, every time, you, you think they hit a, a low and then they find a new one. How many of y'all know this thing about the whistleblower and the phone conversation? How incredibly stupid do you have to be in the news media? If you're there, you've got a guy who overheard, who knows somebody who overheard a conversation and they're going to tell you about it. They overheard one side of the conversation. They didn't do it. They know somebody who did and that's your authority. And then the White House goes and they release the transcript of the conversation. You're still going to the whistleblower. Is that what happened? Now, if you think, well, maybe they didn't, they didn't release, the White House didn't release the real tapes or the real transcript. Just remember, there was somebody else in the conversation over Ukraine. And if anything was un- untrue, wouldn't they come up there and say it? Why are we still talking to people who heard about the conversation instead of the people who had the conversation? It's, it's, it's as stupid as this. Why in the world are you having this conversation? Well, he looks like him. I don't know. I think the other guy was blonde. <laughs> it's so stupid. Just ask the guy. Are you the guy? I am. That's the way you can take care of it. But that's not all the stupidity we have here. We got some more. So he said, it looks like him. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. A man called Jesus. How much does he know about Jesus? He knows his name. May know his name because the disciples were having a conversation. They talked about him and said, this is Jesus. Somehow he knew his name. He doesn't know where he came from. He doesn't know anything about him. He hasn't heard that Jesus has, has uh, performed miracles. He doesn't have anything to build his faith on. All he knows is his name is Jesus. And he told me to go wash in the pool. I went and I washed in the pool. In fact, he said more than that. Go to verse 11 again. He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. How many of you are saying he anointed my eyes? How many of you are telling it like it is? He spit on the ground and put mud on me. I am not calling that anointed. There's no oil involved here. He spit on the ground and he put mud on me. That's what I'd be saying, I think. That's not what this guy said. Man called Jesus, made clay and anointed my eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Do what Jesus said and get healed. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. What's he look like? <laughs> I was waiting for this question. Somebody in this, all this stupidity in this story, somebody is going to ask, what do you look like? I was blind. <laughs> right? I don't know. When I came back, he wasn't there. Nobody asked that question. Where is he? I don't know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. The man formerly known as the blind man. He's not the blind man anymore. That is a formal title. 
Now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. We all know that they have a problem with uh, the Sabbath, right? Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. He said to him, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now, how many of you can sense this guy's getting a little frustrated? You asked me? I told you. I gave you the long version. Uh, and now after that, I'm just giving you the short version. Pretty soon it's going to be dirt, washed, see. You know? You know who's good at this? McDonald's. McDonald's is great at this tactic. Because McDonald's will come out with a beautiful commercial. I don't like the food, but the commercials are great. Especially at Christmas time, they come out with a beautiful Christmas commercial or some feel-good commercial. You watch the McDonald's commercial, oh, it feels so good. And then you watch it for a while and you know all the parts to it. And then all of a sudden, it goes from a 30-second commercial to a 15-second commercial and all the good parts are gone. I probably mentioned this to you before we know that's intentional. It's a great marketing ploy. Because what they now get you to do is after they've engaged you for 30 seconds in the previous times and they got you trained in your mind where to go and what to, to see, when they engage you for 15 seconds, it costs them less money and it's a more effective ad because now your mind's engaged and you start playing the parts that they missed. It's a very smart marketing tactic. They do it all the time. They are the best at it. I think they were the original ones to, to uh, conjure it up. Other people have tried to follow suit, but they are the best at doing the the shortened commercial. So if you ever wonder why McDonald's shortens the commercials to get your attention. And it generally works. So he's shortening the answer. He made clay. I washed. I see. But the Jews don't believe this man's testimony. Now I'm wondering about this. Let's go on here. Verse 16. Therefore some of the Pharisees said this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said he, how can a Man who is a sinner do such signs. And there was a division among them. Notice their uh, litmus test. Does he keep the Sabbath? Well, he can't be from God. That's, that's all we need to know. And other people said, well, if he's a sinner, how can he do all these signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, well, he's a prophet. So he doesn't even know what kind of a title he's got. He's just trying to throw a title on him. I guess he's the prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son? Yes, I believe it is. I believe that's... Yeah. yeah. He, looks, he looks like our son. Hmm. And they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? You are alleging that he was born blind? We're not necessarily going to believe you just yet because uh, he's obviously seeing right now. We don't think we believe your testimony that your son was born blind. This guy is sitting out by the temple. These guys come in and out of the temple all the time. How is it that they never noticed him? Because these folks do not notice people who are in need. They only notice people who can help them. And if you are in need, they really don't care about you. All this time, he's been born blind. So all these years, he's been at the gate begging, so forth. And they never noticed him. 
They had to get other people to identify him. How then does he see? Can you imagine how they're asking this question? Is this your son who you say was born blind? How is it that he's seeing now? How do you explain that? You say he was born blind, but now he sees. How do you explain that? <laughs> Let's see. His parents heard to them and said, well, <clears throat> we know that this is our son. Uh, we know, we can verify that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees? Well, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. We don't even know who opened his eyes. He's of age. Ask him. Your parents just threw you under the bus. He will speak for himself. <laughs> we love our son, but we're not willing to die for him. Or if you put out of the synagogue. We don't want anything like that going on. We, Son, we love you, but you're on your own here. How many of you feel the bond building between mom and dad? And His parents said these things because... They feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So they attested the facts. Facts are, this is our son. He was born blind. What happened today? Well, we don't know. So he's of age, ask him. So again, they, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Now, can you see this guy's getting a little bolder? I'm not sure. I go back and forth on this. I'm not sure if he's getting bolder or tired of these guys. Just so aggravated. You guys are just a bunch of dummies. Got no time for you. Here I am. I've been born blind. This is my first day seeing and all I can see is stupidity. (laughs) What a welcome. (laughs) Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? (laughs) He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> now, now look at this. He's saying this. Do you also? Which means, I'm one. I don't know about you guys, but if I got my choice between you stupid people and this guy over here who opened the eyes of the blind, I'm going with him. Go ahead, kick me out of your synagogue. Can't wait to get out of here. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. How many times do we feel like we've got to testify about stuff we don't know? Don't get people to get you to testify about stuff you don't know. If you don't know it, just say, I don't know. I don't know. You know, sometimes people go off and they try and say things and the news media has told you. And really, you should just say, I don't know. I, I heard, uh, was it ABC that was caught in this? I, don't, I think it was. I think it was ABC. It may have been another, one of the big networks. Um, they had aired some footage of a battle scene, and they pitched it 
as it was coming from Syria, saying that the Syria crisis was escalating. How many of you, anybody see that report? I didn't see it. I heard about it. They pitched it that Syria, that because of what we were doing, withdrawing troops. How many know how many troops we threw? United States? 28. All havoc just broke loose because we took 20 people, 28 people out. But they showed this video of this terrible scene and they said this was what was going on in Syria. It wasn't. It's what happened in Kentucky in a staged battle two years ago. Anybody hear about that? Two years ago, they took footage from two years ago there was a staged battle and pitched it as if it was Syria. They had to pull it down. I did hear uh, one of the press conferences that the president actually um, cited the guy who's from the network, ABC or wherever, cited him and said, your network hasn't even apologized for that yet, as far as I know. Can you? That's how brazen they are. That's why I tell you, do not take these things that these people say for anything. They will lie to you. You are better off what this guy says. I don't know if he's a sinner. I can only tell you what I know. Here's what I know. I was blind. I'm seeing now. That's it. See, we're even getting shorter on this version now. Before, you know, we had the, the mud of least involved. Now we're not, the pool and the mud is gone. I was blind. Now I see. That's it. We're even a shorter version now. You're going to repeat stuff. Stick with what you know. Make sure you know it. Don't be talking about stuff you don't. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I told you already. <laughs> Verse 28. Then they re- reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses for this fellow. We do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to him, Well, why, this is a marvelous thing. That you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. You can see this, his sarcasm is growing. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. He's preaching to him now. <laughs> Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You are completely born in sins, and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. How many of you thinking, Finally. I open, We'll get to heaven. We'll have to ask this guy. We'll know his name by then. We'll have to look him up and ask him. Were you trying to aggravate them so they would throw you out? So you can get out of there? I think he was. Verse 35. I'm putting your outline there. It's a good way to discern if a person is of God or not is to look at their attitude. That would be a great, t- great telling point right there. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Now, this is a man who just a little while ago didn't even really know who Jesus was. Had not heard of any of the works of Jesus to build faith on. But Jesus said, Go and wash. And he did it. That's how desperate he was to see. And now Jesus says, do you believe? How often does Jesus reveal himself to people? How often does Jesus come to people and say, I am the Christ? Doesn't do that very often, does it? Verse 36, he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? See, now he's willing to go on his testimony. 
if you give me the testimony of who he is, I will believe it. Isn't that amazing? The Pharisees are not even at that place. And in less than a day, this guy has gone from the place of not knowing who Jesus was to believe him. You tell me and I'll believe it. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. He's talking spiritually now. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. This man is ready to believe solely on the testimony of Jesus. How quickly he came to that place. He didn't have right theology about Jesus. He didn't even know who he was. He thought maybe he was a prophet. He was timid at first to even stand for Jesus. Yet he received healing based on his obedience. If this man can do that, folks, and so can you. See, Jesus may tell you something that makes sense, but you don't want to do it. Jesus may tell you to do some things that make sense, but you don't want to do it. Come on. You all know God is good at telling you to do something and you do not want to do it. Oh, he is good at that. I mean, if he told somebody else, he may tell me to do this. And I say, oh, I do not want to do that. He'd go to Orlando and say, Orlando, do this. He goes, all right. <laughs> He's got, he got no problem with it. It just seems like God knows what to push your buttons. Just like the man, you know, go wash in the Jordan River. Oh, not that one. Let me go washing this one. He's not opposed to washing. Just not that one. He knows how to get your buttons pushed. And if he's pushing your buttons, he's trying to get you someplace. Let him push him. He may tell you to do something that doesn't make any sense. That'll challenge your rational thinking. How is that even gonna, how is that even gonna help? I don't understand how that could even change anything. Surely that's not going to do any good. I haven't shared this story with you in a while, but I, I know I shared it with you before. But Brother Hagin had told us uh, some time ago that when he was out doing meetings and he was driving around in a car, of course, you don't have credit cards and all that, and there was uh, one time, I think he had $10 in his pocket, and God told him, go and sow that to that person over here. He said, God, that's the only, that's all I have for gas to get to the next meeting. He said, sow it to him. So he sold it to him, he made it to the next meeting. Sometime after that, I think he had 20 or $25 in his pocket. That's all he had. And God said, sow that into these people. That's all I, that's all I have. And he guessed to get to the next place. He didn't think he had enough gas to get to it. He sowed it. He did it. I'm not sure if it happened a third time, but it happened at least two or three times that that went on. And one time he was getting ready for one of the meetings, and as he was laying on his bed getting ready for the meeting, he said he saw the meeting unfold. He saw it. And he said he saw, and he saw himself standing there in the front. This is in the spirit. This is, you know, he wasn't there. He saw it in the spirit. He saw himself up in the front, and he said, over on the left-hand side of the stage were six people in wheelchairs. And I saw myself go over and lay hands on all of them, and five of them got up and walked. Just right then, just got up and walked. And so the night, that night in the meeting, 
Sure enough, exactly just like he saw it. Six people lined up over here. He laid hands on them exactly how he saw God told him to do it. And five of those people got up and walked. And afterward, the meeting, God was talking to him in the spirit, you know, like he'll do with everybody, talking to him in the spirit. And he'd tell him, he says, he said, Kenneth, I couldn't have done that through you if you hadn't been obedient. And he took him back to those situations. Now, what in the world does that have to do with? It has something to do with it with God. And that's all you need to know. If God said it has something to do with it, then you do it. There are going to be times that it makes sense. Well, if I do that, it makes sense that that would happen. But I don't want to. There are times that it may challenge your rational thinking. And you're thinking, there's no reason in the world this should work. Or he may tell you something that seems to have nothing to do with what you want or need. But to Jesus it does. So whichever it is, will you obey? Will you obey whatever it is? Now I could go around here in the room and I might be able to call out some of you. Has God, you just answer yourself in this, has God told you something about your situation? Have you done it? I'm not going to do that. But if I did, how many of you could say for some situation that you're believing God for, praying God, health situation, healing situation, whatever it might be, that God has dealt with you on the inside to do something about it and it makes sense. Yeah, I could see that if I did that, it would work, but I don't want to. I don't want to. And we get to deal with that one too. Now we've looked at uh, several stories here just in healing and God told them something to do. They did it without questioning what happened. Remarkable healings. Blind Bartimaeus sees. Jesus doesn't even touch him. This guy right here sees. People hadn't seen folks that were born blind healed just like it was before. Dead four days and raised. What has God told you? See, sometimes you can write your own ticket with God just by meditating on the things of the Word and, and just like blind Bartimaeus, when I see him, I'm throwing away this blind man's coat because I don't need it anymore. I don't need a coat that says I can beg. And he threw it away because he had pictured himself doing that. He wrote his own ticket on that. That was his thing of faith. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Other people, the woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I do this, this will happen. But she meditated on the things of the Word. Sometimes you're going to have a, a, a way to get something and it's going to come up in your spirit. You're going to, from meditating on the Word of God. You meditate on the Word of God. You meditate on the Word of God and up in your spirit comes, do this and it will bring that about. Other times, God may say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. Go wash in the pool. He may say something for you to do. And that's your point of decision. Will you obey? Or will you say, well, I don't really know how that's going to have any effect on, on this. I've gotten my eyes muddy before. I've washed it off before. Didn't really seem to do anything. See, when you're born blind, it's not probably, more than likely, it's not because of a sickness or disease. Something was born wrong. Something was born missing. Something uh, came wrong in the development process. It's probably not a sickness and disease that took that away. Blind Bartimaeus, have mercy on me. It may be that he did something stupid that caused that to, to go on. 
may not have been a sickness and disease. See, when we've given you this, this before, when you're dealing with sickness and disease, you take authority over it. I don't need a special word from God for sickness and disease. Sickness and disease, take authority over it. You speak to the sickness and disease, it goes. When you're dealing with injury, restoration, things of that nature, you need to submit to his authority. That's how you get the power. And if you don't submit to his authority, that power is not coming to you. So if God said to you something, raise your hand on this one. How many times, how many times this year? We're just looking at this year. Last not maybe this month, maybe this week, maybe last month, sometime this year, how many God has told you to do something that you did not want to do? How many of you did it? How many of you did it partially? You know what partial obedience counts as? <laughs> That's right. Partial obedience is the same thing as disobedience. Because God does not want partial. He wants full. How about if the guy went down? I washed one eye. Instead of going to the pool, I got a pot of water at home. Don't be doing partial obedience. See, a lot of times we want to sit around and we want to pray, God, I need this. God, I want to do this. God, I, want to, I, I need to have this in my life. I need healing. I need restoration. I need whatever it is. But when God says, do this, I don't want to do that. I don't want that bad. And we're not saying that. We do want it that bad. I just don't see the relationship there. And so what I'd rather say is, Mm-mm. I'm not going to do that. What's that guy on that old TV show always say? What you talking about? <laughs> Willis, that was the guy. I couldn't think of his name. What you talking about, Willis? Sometimes we do that with God. What you talking about, God? You want me to do what? You want me to go where? You want me to stop doing? You want me to start doing? Are you kidding me? Do you know what a sacrifice that is? Do you know how hard that's going to be? God says, yep, I sure do. I think sometimes they have a meeting in heaven. What would be the most difficult thing for us to ask them to do? And one angel comes up and says this, and another angel comes up and says that, and finally an angel comes up and says, how about if you tell them to do this? And God says, that'll work just great. <laughs> I sometimes think they have meetings like that. I'm sure that they really don't. <laughs> but sometimes I wonder if that's going on. Because it just seems like he can say something to me to do that is like, oh, really? I mean, right now, if God said to you, if you want to be healed, give up football, how many of you would say, no problem? <laughs> no problem at all? See, that's why he doesn't say that to you. <laughs> that's why he says, no, we can't ask him that. They'll give that up in a heartbeat. He's not going to ask you something that's easy to do. He's going to ask you something that's a test of faith. That's a, that's a challenge for you. But it's your opportunity to come through. What has God told you to do? We need to take that thing that God has said and we need to hit it hard. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You see here, we're dealing with something in the past. 
In the past, something happened that caused this guy to be blind. In the past, something happened, and this guy has been carrying it around all this time. In the past, people may have said certain things to help him out, and it didn't work, and it didn't, it didn't get anywhere. In the past, all these things are going on. Jesus is not dealing with that past. What he's telling him right now is, uh, we're going to change what is in your past. Don't get your eyes on your past anymore. Get your eyes off the past. Get your eyes on this. You see, what happens in your past can be a springboard. When you look back at the past and you say, God, you've come through for me here. You've come through for me here. I obeyed you here. And look at how you came through. And I obeyed you here. And look at how you came through. So when God says, all right, now do this. And then you go and you do that. You look at your past and you say, I'm excited. I'm not sad because I am giving up or I'm doing something that I don't want to do. I am excited because in doing this, power is coming to me. And we are going to accomplish some good things. And that's a springboard. But if I let my past be, but I have failed. This thing has been with me all my life. I have always had this thing. It has always been holding me back. It has always been there. How can it just go away by me doing this? Then your past is an anchor and it holds you back. And whether your past is your anchor, whether your past is your springboard, it's completely up to you. What has God? told you to do. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the help that you give us in our situations. You know what it is that we face. You know what it is that we're up against. And no matter what it is in our life, there is nothing too great for you. Not even the the eyes of a man born blind. Not even someone who was dead four days. There is nothing that is too great for you. And Father, we need to have our eyes on the past and all the things that you have done, all the things you have come through, and use that as a springboard to say, my God will do it again. But the enemy wants us to look at our past failures. He wants, us to, he wants to play the videotape of the things that didn't work so well. So they become an anchor to us instead of a springboard. But Father, when we hear the command of God, we need to need hit the ground running. And just as these people picked up their bed and walked or went down to the pool or whatever it was that they did, they did it right away. They didn't question. They didn't say, but how is that going to help? They just went off and did it. And we get to that place where we hear the voice of God. And he comes to us and he says, if you will do this, and we will do it. I thank you, Father. That even those times when we don't draw the relationship, I can't see how what you're telling me to do has anything to do with what I'm believing for. We trust you. We believe you. And if you told us to do it, it's only for our benefit. If you told us to quit doing it, it's only for our benefit. And I will stop hiding behind excuses and stop hiding behind my desires and my will and stop hiding behind all these things that keep me from obeying you. Just look myself in the mirror and say, Self, obey. And I will step out. And I will take those things that you say to do. And I will do them with all of my ability. With all of my heart. With everything. And hit it as a springboard. Not looking at the anchors that the enemy wants me to to hang on to. But springing forward. I use what is in my past to spring forward to what is in my future. Your promises, your commands 
These are all good things for us, and I thank you for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. For the victor. Morning, all. So happy to have all of, all of us in church today. Um, as usual, it's always a good time to uh, come together and have this fellowship. And um, we will always remind you how precious it is when we come together like this. Uh, for those that are joining us by way of the Internet, we appreciate your presence also. Amen. Um, you know, Pastor has been taking a lot of things on this series on faith pre- past, present, and future, and I am personally learning a lot of things, you know, getting to learn so many things are new, and I believe that is what the Lord is also doing in your heart. Um, today was, we need to do the works of him who has called us while it is day, because the night comes when nobody will work, and we have to believe and obey what he has spoken to us. And one of the disciples asked him, how can I do the works of God? And he simply told him, what you have to do is to believe in the one who has sent me. Hallelujah. You know, so sometimes we need to believe and just take that step of obedience for what he wants to do in us to come to pass. I really thank God for the testimony today from Sister Ethel. You know, she was sharing with us on how she stood her ground despite the odds, the, what she was seeing in the physical. You know, the knee was saying something else, and she said, this is what God has said I should, I should be. You know, so it's also to remind us that we stick to what God has said we should say. That is part of obeying him. If the Lord said, let the weak say, I am strong, what shall you do? Say it, I am strong. You know, I discovered that is a, a, a spiritual principle. When you make those declarations in, in weakness, that is when the strength comes. So that is one of the things we need to obey God for. When he said, say, I am strong, go out saying, I am strong. Hallelujah. And I want to quickly remind us today, um, our prayer bulletin, I mean, our prayer um, prayer request forms are still available in case you need prayer at any time. Uh, we are always committed to praying for you. Uh, both here in church and outside. So um, if you forgot to put down a prayer request uh, and you still need a prayer, we can always discuss even after church service. Um, that is the word of God for us. Say, none that come to Zion shall be sick. So we are committed to having these words fulfilled even in our midst. So if you need prayers at any time uh, with the pastor or with any other person, please feel free to discuss with us and um, the scripture will lay hands together and uh, command the disease to go out. Hallelujah. And also prayer reports, um, with whatever thing the Lord has done for you, we are always happy to share those testimonies together so that other people can be encouraged by the things that God is doing in our lives. Um, once again, thank you for coming and uh, have a very good um, a day and a, a very good week as we go. Hallelujah.